Oh, look at this. Look around. This is awesome. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is risen. Turn to your other neighbor and say, he is risen indeed. My name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Center, and we are seriously well, so excited you're here. We want to welcome you. Hope you feel at home. Hope you feel loved. Hope you feel the presence of God. I mean, we can come in and do all of this stuff. But without the presence of God, it means nothing. And so that's our prayer this morning. We just join me in a quick prayer. God, we want your presence today. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to be here. We don't want to be just hearers of the word. Lord, we want to be doers of the word. And so this morning, we just pray that you would go before us. This we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. My old pastor and mentor, Joe, you might remember him, Paul Williams, used to say that Easter was Super Bowl for Christians. I agree. It all comes down to this. It all comes down to the resurrection. And we've been in a series entitled uh, Road to the Resurrection. And we've been looking at moments in Jesus' final days leading up to his death, burial, and resurrection. And we're going to continue in that today, and we're going to look at one iconic moment just before Jesus died. And this iconic moment is listed in all four Gospels, and we're going to, we're going to look at that today. But I want to ask you a question first. Have you ever looked at something and said, I think it's this way, and had it be the opposite way? Like you've been fooled by the appearance, right? And... I know, I don't know about you, but I, this happens to me quite often. I, rem, I was just thinking back to some of my childhood memories, and I remember when I was about 11 or 12 years old, we went on vacation with a good friend of mine, Glenn, him and his mom and dad and his other brother, just a little family trip to Seattle, do a little vacation, a little school clothes shopping, and so we decided to go down to the wharf and just kind of experience life, you know, on the water. And we got down there, and there's a place called Ye Old Curiosity Shop. Has anyone ever been to the Ye Old Curiosity Shop? Well, they have a little section that's kind of magic, you know, and novelty stuff. And in my little junior high, 11-year-old brain, I thought, oh, this is great. And I'm looking through there, and I see these, these, this little ticket book, and it says parking citation. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome, because it took... Glenn's dad, a long time to find parking, but he finally found a parking spot, and it was all-day parking because we knew that we were going to be there all day, so we paid a lot of money for this spot. And so I bought that little ticket book, and I just was so proud of myself. And we went out, and, uh, you know, you could put your little date on it and all that stuff, and, and uh, we put it under his windshield, and we were just so excited, you know, what a great prank this is. And, and uh, he's a Navy man. <clears throat> so... The language got a little bit colorful as he sat down and looked out and saw a parking citation where he knew he was legally allowed to park. And he just, <laughs> he just began to go nuts over this thing. And I had fully expected I would confess to him that it was us. As a matter of fact, I was going to be proud of it, you know. But the more he amped up and the more colorful his language got, uh... I'm not, Glenn, are you saying anything? Because I'm certainly not saying anything. But finally, I couldn't take it anymore because I thought someone's going to get shot, you know. And so I said, um, what, what, 
what does it, I, what does it say in the fine print? Because I knew what it said in the fine print. And he goes, oh, and then he just crumpled it up and threw it. What it said in the fine print is, you know, you've been pranked. This is a joke. You don't owe anyone anything. May the fleas of a thousand camels rest in your armpits the rest of your life. I mean, it was just crazy. But in that moment, that's what he saw. That's what he fixated on. He didn't look beyond it. He didn't read the fine print. And so it is with this moment that I'm going to share with you today. If you just look at it from the surface, it seems like one thing is happening. But when you read all four Gospels and you put it together, you see that actually something very different is going on. And the moment I want to look at is where Jesus was just about to die on the cross. And in that moment, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. And who could blame him? Who could blame him for crying out with a loud voice? He had been beaten with a cat of nine tails that each tongue had pottery, bits of ivory, glass, rock, bone. Laid it in his back, pulled it out. Time after time after time. They took rods and they smacked him on the head. Soldiers blindfolded him and they closed knuckle, busted him in the face as hard as they could. Hardened warriors beating him to a pulp. This is what Jesus went through because he loves you and he loves me. And then on top of all of that, he's forced to carry this huge cross as far as he possibly could take it. Have you ever done something so intense? Maybe it's a Spartan race or maybe you're in CrossFit or, or, you, or you're just doing something where it's taken everything you have and you just get to the point where you can say, I have nothing left. Jesus finally got to that point. That cross was so heavy and it fell. A man named Simon of Cyrene picked it up. They forced him to carry it up Golgotha. And then when they finally got him up there, they nailed him to that cross, put him in the ground, and there he, there he was, naked between heaven and earth, exposed for all the world to see. Of course he's going to cry. It would make sense that he cried out. It says in Matthew 27:50, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. And he yielded his spirit. Yielded his spirit. That's the moment he cried out. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. The Greek word there for cry out is kradzo. And it means a loud shout. Which is a little different than a whimpering cry of defeat. It's a loud shout. Jesus 
at the very end of his race, beaten, bloodied, humiliated, betrayed, isolated, on the cross, shouts. But things are not always as they seem. Sometimes you have to read the fine print. You have to look a little bit deeper. So let's look at what Mark has to say about it. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this, And breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. When the centurion saw that he cried out like this, he knew he was the son of God. You see, it was the cry that actually changed the centurion's mind. It was that cry. Who was this centurion? He would have had a unique helmet. It would have been unique from all of the other soldiers who were assigned to watch Jesus on that day. He would have been a man who led a unit of troops called a centuria. That's where the name centurion comes from. This man would have seen battle after battle after battle. He would have been an officer in arguably one of the most powerful armies that has ever been seen. He knew what it was like to look defeat in the eyes. He knew the sound of a defeated person. And he also knew the victory cry of someone who was about to win. You know, in the last month, maybe a month and a half, we've had the honor of watching one of our own, Haley Van Lith, just light it up in Louisville as they're heading toward the championship. And, of course, Steph and I are watching the game, cheering it on. And at some point, as they marched toward the championship, we would watch it as toward the end of that game, there would be a look of defeat that would come over the opposing team when they knew, when they knew it was over. There was a look, and even tears would start to come down their eyes as they knew there was no hope to get back in. And certainly when the coach said, don't try to steal the ball anymore. It was over. And you could see the contrast between those who had lost and those who were cheering on the center court. This Roman soldier, hardened by battle, he had seen it all. And when Jesus cried out that last cry, he was like, no, 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 no. Something's different about that cry. 
something's very different about that cry. Now, I could understand, you know, if all of these things, like the, the whole sky, it says, went dark. There were earthquakes, veiled temple torn in two, all that stuff happening. And no doubt contributed to why he would say he was the son of God. But I believe this gospel says it was his cry that changed everything. It was not the cry of defeat. It was the cry of victory. So what did he cry? It was obviously a loud shout, a victory shout, but what did he cry that was so powerful that it changed the centurion's mind? What did he cry? Let's take a look and see what it says in the scriptures. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, this is what he cried, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. You see, Jesus' cry on the cross was not a cry of defeat. It was a cry of victory. And this hardened Roman soldier, standing vigil at the cross, knew it. And he cries out, it is finished. Truly, this man was the son of God. Well, what's so big about that cry? It is finished. Well, obviously, it is finished. You're beaten to a pulp. The idea behind the cross was that your lungs would collapse as you collapsed. And you would have to pull yourself up just to breathe. And after a while, you could no longer do that. And so... Jesus, one last time, he let out the cry of victory. It was his last cry. And in Jesus' day, when you committed a crime, let's say it was murder, and you were taken to court, and the judge agreed that you were guilty, and you were convicted of murder, they would do a couple of things. They would take a sign, and on that sign, they would write murder, what you were convicted of. They'd write murder on there. And then they would put, how long is the punishment? 30 years. Or maybe it wasn't murder. Maybe it was stealing. 20 years. Whatever the crime was, they would put it on there. They would take that to your cell. And they would stick that on there, on your cell, so that everyone knew what you were convicted of. And then they would put it over the head of the, the, the jail cell door. And once you had served your sentence, you were given that back. The, the writing ordinances that were against you. You were given it back. Only this time, the judge, the authority, had written a word over the top of your crime and your punishment. The Greek word is teleo. 
It means paid in full. So that you could actually take that sign to Leo. And it would actually be over the sin. It would cover the sin, whatever that may be. And oftentimes, these prisoners would take this signed judge legal document to their homes and they would put it over their doors because sometimes their enemies would try to come back and drag them back to jail. But all they had to do is say, no, Taleo paid in full. Jesus' last cry on the cross was that word. As he pulled himself up one last time, Taleo! Because you see, Jesus wasn't the only one that had a sign above his head, although he had one. He had a sign above his head. The sign said, Jesus, King of the Jews. Remember that, reading that? King of the Jews. Why would they put that above there? Because it was treason. It was a capital punishment by death. And that's why that sign was above Jesus. He had claimed to be a king. There is no king but Caesar. And so he was executed for that crime. But his crime was not the only crime. You see, all of us, all of us have some area of our life. We were born, created in perfect harmony with God. Perfect harmony and unity with God in paradise. And mankind chose a different way, a different route. And forever, humanity would be marked by a sin stain. It wasn't just Jesus who had an indictment above his head, but it was all of us. And what was the cost of that crime. The wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Separation from God for all eternity. Perfection was lost. And it would take perfection to be sacrificed to gain it back for us. That's why Jesus had to die. That's why you couldn't die for someone. That's why the, the blood of animals could never fully cleanse us, atone for our sins. It would take perfection to gain perfection back. And Jesus so loved you that he became one of us and endured life on this harsh earth Because he loves you. And because you are stuck with this above your head. The scriptures 
in Colossians, actually, chapter 2, 13 through 15. They say this, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has resurrected together with him, having forgiven all your sins. He blotted out the handwriting crimes that were against us. That's this. He's using legal language of the day. And he took it out of the way. Nailing it to the cross. Teleo! In that moment, the perfect sacrifice had been made. Every sin you would ever commit, every sin you are committing, and every sin you will forever commit. To those who put their trust in Jesus, he gives a right to become sons and daughters of God. To live with him for all eternity. And he did this because he loves you. Don't ever doubt that. Don't ever doubt the love of God. Some of you are feeling that right now in your heart. That's God speaking to you saying, trust me. It's Jesus saying, I paid the price for you when you couldn't pay it. I did it. He so loves you. Now all of this teleo would mean nothing without the resurrection. That's why the resurrection is so important, you see. Because if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, then maybe it was just the musings of a madman. And yet, he rose again. And he was seen by hundreds of people. Miracles happened at the resurrection. He is alive. Oh, you're not getting this. He is alive today. He is alive today. Sin tried to hold him down. Sin tried to entangle him, and yet he was without sin. Couldn't do it. Death. The powers of darkness, but the powers of darkness were fooled. They didn't know what was going on. It says, if they had known what was going on, they'd have never crucified the Lord of glory. But death wanted that final last word, and so it wrapped its grimy, cold arms around Jesus in that tomb and tried to hold him down. Sin exhausted its strength trying to get him to sin. The powers of darkness, pre-resurrection, assaulted Jesus at every turn. And now death is trying its, its hand at it, holding him down, and yet he would not stay down. And he rose from that grave. And he is alive today. He is alive today. And he wants to be your best friend. The Bible says no greater love has anyone than this, that they would lay down their life for their friend. It says he holds every tear you've ever shed in a bottle. That's the kind of God. He's so
encourages you. Just bow your heads for a moment. I'm reminded that in a room this size, there may be some in here that have never heard that story before. And it's not a fable, it's fact. Jesus came, lived 33 years on this planet, paid the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, and rose again and is now preparing a place for you in heaven. But he will not force himself on you. He will not force himself on you. Did you hear that? It's a choice you make. It's a choice you make to enter into that relationship with Jesus. To say, Jesus, I know I have sinned. And I know apart from you, I'm destined to an eternal darkness where the goodness of God is not there because I've rejected it. But Jesus, you love me so much. You died for me. What, what, what is something worth? Something is worth what you'd pay for it. Oh, and what did Jesus pay for you? He paid his very life. And this morning, if you want to receive that free gift of salvation for the first time, just slip your arm up and then down. Be bold. If that's you and you want to receive him this morning, just slip your arm up and then down. Right on. Anyone else? Right on. Anyone else just say right on? Anyone want to say, yes, that's me today? Anyone else want to say, I choose that. Right on. Very good. Very good. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to, there we go. Anyone else? It's your day. You move from death to life. I want to invite you to just stand up here. We're going to say a prayer together if you wouldn't mind. Just stand up. Would you just repeat this short prayer after me if you feel so led? Certainly if you're making that decision today, pray this prayer, but... I'd love to have all of you pray it out with me, if you would. Some of you are making the decision right now, and this prayer will change your life. Jesus, go ahead and say it. Jesus, I trust you today. I give you my sins, and I receive your grace. I put my whole trust in you. And I will walk with you the rest of my days. Thank you for paying the ultimate price to save me from my sins. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Can we just shout out for all those that made that decision today? Right on. Right on.